Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. If you're a pro, you know that this is not efficient because you know there's a better way. There's also a better way to save. When pro customers buy building supplies in bulk at Lowe's, they save up to 20% every day. Buy in bulk and save up to 20% on concrete, gypsum, and gypsum accessories. At Lowe's, buy more, save more. Visit the Pro Desk or Lowe'sForPros.com for details. Discount applies to contractor pack items. Minimum purchase required, U.S. only. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. This week's top lines. Convention bounces are over, but has we have we actually seen liftoff and escaping is reaching escape velocity from the Clinton <laughs> campaign? If the bounce is over, are these numbers here to stay? And then Trump, is he losing even his own party and his own party's states now? We'll dig into some of the crosstabs as well as some of the swing state polling that's come out that spells a bleak picture for Team Trump. No, the polls aren't rigged. We'll dig into a little bit of the debate that's popped up around whether this election and the polls behind it are uh being set up to paint a picture that is incorrect. Um, We'll also talk about what people are hearing from the pulpit about politics. And finally, an answer to the question, what the heck are you smoking? (laughs) That would be a good alternative name for the podcast. What are you smoking, America? Um, So before we do the poll of the week, so welcome new listeners who may have found us because they saw us on This Week with ABC, where I'm sure you regularly see Kristen, but that was the first time I joined you. It was so fun. It was my first Sunday broadcast debut. So I've done Sunday cable, but it was my first time on Sunday broadcast. And it was hashtag this town achievement unlocked. (laughs) (laughs) That was was quite something. And I was really amazed. Like the producers, it's so different doing Sunday or certainly during this week than daily news. Because daily news, it's like, okay, this is what's happening right now. This happened a half an hour ago. Can you talk about it? And they don't book you very far in advance unless they just want to make sure you have some time. But it really depends on what's going on that moment. But this week, you really spent quite a bit of time preparing. They sent, you know, sent us some questions in advance. We had a call. I mean, it was, I was amazed by how much time we had spent on it, you know, on the segment. And it really made a difference. It's amazing when you can prepare. Yeah. When you've got one hour of TV to produce a week, you can really, you know, fine tune every second of, of that hour. Right. I have not done such preparation for today. <laughs> we we not- also have one hour of content to generate per week. And not we, as much effort. We have not had a conference call about this. But show it was today. also great. Uh, you know, there were a couple of folks that tweeted us pictures and noted that it was an all female segment, which, hey, men can be good pollsters, too. That's not. But it was kind of, you know, I love Martha. Yeah. Who's the host. Uh, she's the co-anchor of this week with George Stephanopoulos. Um she's just like the best. So it was it was 
She's a good interviewer. I I liked that it was a segment focused around polling right. instead of like just blah blah blah. blah. What do you think about Clinton's emails? Right, right. Yeah. So, so that was good. It was very much in our wheelhouse. And it said the pollsters break it down, and it had little quotes around the pollsters. I know. So it's like we made the big I know, time. It's really good. So <laughs> welcome, new listeners, and we are, we stretch out a little bit more in the show than we did in that one segment. If you are joining us yeah. from there, and this week we've also, um, if if you are also coming to us from having listened to us on another podcast, welcome. Um, so this week we've gone on. David Drucker's podcast at the Washington Examiner. I did um, an interview with the guys at the Fifth Estate last night all about the polling world. So if you are new to us coming from either of those shows, welcome to you as well. Or you could be Walmart Moms fans. Oh, yeah. But we'll get to that in a little bit. It's been an exciting week. Oh, I didn't put that in the top lines. Well, we're going to talk about it. All right. It. Well, that'll be like the fun surprise well, at the bottom fun of the surprise. More Walmart Moms. Yeah. <laughs> but first, before we get to all that, our poll of the week, it's Olympic time and interest is at a new low according to Gallup but this was before the Olympics actually started but they uh, asked a question how much of the Olympics do you intend to watch a great deal fair amount not much or not at all and for the first time since they've been asking this since in 2000 a majority said they're not going to watch a lot and usually more people say that they're going to watch a lot but now a majority said they weren't going to watch a lot that was the intent beforehand I know that's sad I haven't watched a lot and I intended to watch a lot, but I can't – I just don't watch – I can't watch anything. I'm still – I haven't finished Breaking Bad. I can't make it to oh, the Olympics. I'm just where, so behind. Oh gosh, Breaking Bad's so good. Wait, where are you in Breaking Bad right now? Like the middle, beginning middle. What's like, like season what's three? Happening? I mean it was so – I don't even – like, oh, it, like it was okay. a long time ago. I mean I've watched <laughs> one episode of Broad City. I don't even think I finished um, – uh, OJ, which I loved so much. So anyway, yeah, I never made it through season have two you, of Empire. Have you I'm encountered a, I'm a, failure. a character I'm named a Gustavo Fring? Gus Fring, he's the guy that runs the chicken restaurant? No. Okay, he's the best part of Breaking Bad. Yeah. I, I can't know. even wait for you to get to the Gus Fring part. I okay. think it's going to have to wait till my kids go to college and then I'm going to have to like <laughs> wear whatever special glasses they'll have invented by then. <laughs> Just like you, download I the whole I don't think experience. you actually want to experience Breaking Bad in virtual reality. Let me just put that one out there. <laughs> so anyway, so needless to say, I haven't I only have watched the Olympics on Twitter, which I guess means I can not I can only experience the reaction to the sexist comments, not experiencing the sexist comments oh, firsthand. Yeah. So that's pretty much all I've watched. Also, just unbridled nationalism. Like, like last night, if I was president of the United States, I probably would have declared war on South Africa because there's like this <laughs> intense rivalry between Michael Phelps and this. I hope South you're listening, African Democratic Oppo book writers, <laughs> Chad Leclerc, who's been trash talking Phelps, and then he didn't even make the podium. Um. And instead of tweeting, "I'm so excited for Michael Phelps," I tweeted like. Chad Leclerc didn't even make the podium. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not, that's probably not the Olympic spirit, but I no. was pretty excited. Don't trash talk Michael Phelps. No, no. I I'll mean, you, you know, he, he, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty incredible accomplishment. So <laughs> it's good to just let somebody at that moment have their space. I agree. But anyway, that's where people are in the Olympics. I don't know what we'll find out what the actual ratings are of the Olympics after the fact, how they'll compare. But Team USA is doing so well that I would imagine. Well, people I, are I wonder if that's part of the problem. So, like this, one of the big pieces of drama has been the coverage of the gymnastics team because the men's team did not medal, and so they barely got any coverage. And it's really interesting to watch. And these are incredible athletes. Um, meanwhile, the women's gymnastics team actually has the opposite problem. They're so good. 
that there's like not even a question that they're going to bring home like every gold medal possible. So there's not a lot of drama. So it's like, oh, well, and it's happening during the day. So like I kept getting push notifications and tweets telling me, oh, the U.S. women got the gold in gymnastics. I'm like, well, great. It's three in the afternoon and they're definitely not going to air this on NBC until 11. So am I really going to stay up? But I want to watch. But uh, so, I mean, it can't be easy dealing with the coverage. And certainly when things were happening in Beijing, you know, some of the stuff would happen in prime time and you got to delay it and whatever. But Rio is pretty close to our time zone. So that's not – it's – I get that it's hard to do, but it's, there. I think there's less drama for a lot of these events. Right. We want stories. We don't want to just watch the actual thing. I guess. That's well, what people have been no, finding, no, no. right? But they see, want but stories then, as opposed to watching the actual This was another play. one of the allegations of sexism. Right. It was like somebody interviewed an NBC ladies like stories. It was like, ladies yeah. don't care about the results. They just want the stories. And I'm like, no, I he, really care about the results. Does that athlete <laughs> love their mama? That's all I want to know. <laughs> oh, that's nice. What a nice young man. <laughs> so I'm I'm very into the Olympics. It's, it's very my scene. But I am now apparently in minority of americans yeah sad face no that's true well let's go back to something that people are also <laughs> but simultaneously not excited about not excited about but paying attention to nonetheless and that is the election so it's been as you may have heard not such a great week or so for trump in the polls yeah we're past the bump zone this is not just a convention bounce for clinton this is this is the real deal so in the the real clear politics polling average and the Huffington Post pollster average, you've just – I mean, it's its really, really, really bleak for Trump. Um, in Huffington Post pollster average, you have Clinton up by almost eight points um, in the two-way ballot And that's test. a lot for a national – That is a lot. And, and that holds even when you add in uh, Johnson, undecided, other – you know, when you add in all of these other folks to the mix, you still see a Clinton advantage of about eight. So it's – Which goes to the theory that – People have been now saying for a while that Johnson actually pulls equally from both. Yeah. The, the, At least as of right now. Until Johnson Johnson Mentum happens. <laughs> until people start feeling the Johnson. Oh, Margie. <laughs> I learned that from you. I know you did. I, <laughs> I know you did. I learned that from watching you. Um, but the real story, I think, this week has not been just the really bleak national polls for Trump, but have been all of these statewide polls that just make his electoral college path look completely impossible. So last week on the show, I think we talked a little bit about North Carolina and how that seems to now be really in jeopardy for Trump. It's been consistently in the Clinton column. Now you have Georgia, where we've had a couple polls come out, Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll, Clinton up four, JMC Analytics, who I've never heard of before, but they've done a couple Georgia polls, have Clinton up by seven. If you are the Republican nominee and Georgia is in question, then um, that's – I mean that's that's crazy. Like you have to pull off all of these Rust Belt states in order to make it work. And guess what the polling says in the Rust Belt states? Not looking great for Trump. You had Quinnipiac come out this week where it had in Pennsylvania, Clinton up by 10. In Ohio, Clinton up by 4, which – that state used to be a coin flip. You're now seeing a lot more polling showing that Ohio is looking pretty close for her. Um, as we walked into the booth, um, a poll came out in Wisconsin. And here's the really interesting thing. It showed that Clinton is up by 10 among registered voters. When you limit the sample to likely voters, she's up by 15. Now, the reason why this is surprising is that typically 
in a likely voter, the, the, the tighter you screen the poll, kind of the better it is for Republicans. So polls of all adults are better for Democrats than registered voters. Polls of registered voters tend to be better for Democrats than likely voters because typically the way pollsters are defining likely voter, I think, can neglect or underrepresent, you know, folks who are uh, younger, African-American, Latino, you know, folks that tend to vote Democratic but are perhaps have less of a track record of voting than, say, a 65-year-old white male. Um, so typically Republicans do better in likely voter polls. Trump, it's the opposite. When you go to likely voters, Trump does less well. That's a that's I mean, that's bad. That's really, really bad if you're a Republican. I mean, maybe it's because he does well with and I don't know about this particular poll that you're citing, though, but he does better with downscale whites. So the Washington Post ABC poll, he was doing incredibly well with white, non-college educated men who I'm assuming are going to be less have a lower propensity of voting. Um, people talk about this group as his like superpower. He right. can just run up the run the table with this group and, you know, dominate the country. You know, in that same poll, that was 18%. That was 18% of the entire sample. So he'd have to basically get all, given where he is with everybody else, he would have to get every single just about white, non-college educated male in order to be competitive, to be tied nationally who knows what that means in the battleground states or with Johnson and Stein or the new guy, um, whatever his name is. McMullen? McMullen? Evan? The Evan, new guy. Evan McMullen. Evan McMullen. The new guy that's sweeping the country. McMullen Mentum. <laughs> <laughs> we have, we have, do not have any polls at this moment that have him in a five-way ballot test. No. I assume those are, are coming. No. Um, but, you know, the, the other implication here, and we talked about this a bit last week, is the down-ballot uh, consequences. So NBC Marist also did a series of polls in some of these battleground states. Um, while Quinnipiac did Florida, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, Marist did Iowa, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. They found pretty similar results. Um, Ohio, they found Clinton up by five. Pennsylvania, they found Clinton up by 11. In Iowa, they found Clinton up by four. Again, Iowa is one of those states that's been a blue state on and off. You know, it was an Obama state. Even though you kind of think, if you close your eyes and you think of Iowa, you think of like, you know, a white farmer. Like, how does Iowa become a blue state? But it has been. Right. Um, Shows no sign in this polling of that changing. Um, but in those same NBC Marist polls, they also asked about the Senate races there. So Chuck Grassley, who's been senator from Iowa forever, has the most amazing Twitter account in the entire United States Senate. Perhaps second to Ben Sass, but Claire McCaskill, Claire McCaskill. Oh, right. I guess I'm bringing my partisan. Yeah, lens yeah, that's to this, okay. But, like, but Chuck Grassley, it's not a partisan <laughs> thing. It's like. If you never heard of the assume deer dead tweet, like he hit a deer in his car and like live tweeted the experience. Anyhow. Um, so you have you have Chuck Grassley um, up by 10, despite the fact that Clinton is ahead by four uh, in his state. Um, in Ohio, similarly, you have Clinton, who's up by five in the, the presidential race. But then you have Rob Portman, the Republican candidate for Senate who's up by five in his contest. So you see a lot of these down-ballot Republicans outperforming Trump by a pretty sizable margin. But then you wind up in a place like Pennsylvania, where Trump's margin of being plus – or down by 11 points, down by a double-digit margin. There's just no way for Pat Toomey to overcome that. And so Pat Toomey is down by four against Katie McGinty, the Democratic candidate, 
in his Senate race. So this then raises a big question. If you're a Republican who's not a fan of Trump, not really interested in him taking the White House, but you really care about these down-ballot races, at a certain point by not giving any aid to Trump, are you allowing an environment to exist where some of these down-ballot folks cannot even overcome the wave that is coming? That's the big debate and argument that's happening within the right is if you just abandon Trump and say this guy is bonkers crazy, are you also sacrificing all these down-ballot folks? Right. And here's the challenge. I mean, so there are a couple challenges. One, split ticket or split house districts, rather, have declined, according to Pew. Pew did this analysis, and we'll link to all this stuff in our show notes so you can look at it. You can link to it immediately on your uh, phone. Um, but it lo- they looked at house districts that were either they voted for a Republican for president, but a House Democrat, or the reverse. They voted for a Democrat for president, but a House Republican. And the number of split districts has declined dramatically over the last few decades. This is not something that people typically do. So that's That's the first thing. The second thing is, how do you convince voters to get there? You know, you're going to have to make a real case that is going to be a little bit counterintuitive. Um, You're going to have to explain why people should vote split ticket when that's not typically what people do. Usually these things go together, right? And you're also going to need – the third thing is you're going to need to have candidates who are going to be clear in saying, I'm not with Trump, right? Which not all these candidates – are out there doing. And, you know, if they do that, do they lo- then lose some of their Republican base? Right. You know, do in you such a way. you lose more than you gain? Right. And I don't know if we're going to be able to tell all that right now from this public poll. Like now, the Walmart Moms focus group that we did last night. So we talked to moms. If you've, you've been listeners to the show, you've heard me talk about this for a while, where we talked to swing voting moms who shopped at a Walmart in the last month, along with me, along with a Republican pollster, Neil Newhouse, all sponsored by Walmart, live streamed for political reporters. And I live tweeted the whole thing. You could go do a search for the hashtag Walmart moms and hear all about it. But we asked them about the split ticket thing. And we also asked them more explicitly, like, is he a Republican? Like, what does it mean that Republic, you know, do you think Republicans are behind him? What do you think? And they said, he's not a Republican. He's Trump. Like he's just his yeah. own his own thing, which is good news for Republicans. But it doesn't mean, though, at the same time that they're really getting a lot of message about what all these other candidates think about Trump, because there isn't a very clear message. You know, they're all everybody's doing their own thing. Relative yeah. to this Trump. was this was something that at the Democratic convention as a Republican who is no fan of Trump, I most appreciated about it was especially President Obama's speech where he he basically said If you watched that convention last week, a lot of what you heard wasn't particularly Republican or conservative. Like, and, you know, that's a double-edged sword, right? On the one hand, that makes me very happy that you've got a lot of swing voters where they're basically saying, like, look, if you're a Republican, you have permission to vote for Clinton because this man is a crazy man and he doesn't represent you um, and he doesn't have the temperament to go along with you. And bear in mind, there are a lot of Republicans that have huge reservations about Trump. In the Washington Post ABC News poll, they asked, you know, do you approve or disapprove of Trump's behavior in the whole con dispute that we talked about last week? Um, and 61 percent of Republicans said they disapproved of him. So, you know, there was there is like right. there is angst out there. The other strategy, though, would be to tie Trump around all of these people's necks and say, no, he is Republican. He's exactly the zombie monster that Republicans deserve and have created over the last few years. That could mean fewer swing voters 
saying, I'm Republican, but I'll vote for Hillary Clinton because, hey, why are they saying that my party's so bad? On the other hand, does that help you knock out more of these folks down ballot? Yeah. These are the strategy questions right. that and smart people in Brooklyn, I'm sure, are noodling over. This is all super tough stuff. And I don't know if we're going to be able to get to the bottom of it right now with public polling because yeah. it just takes – you know, I mean, maybe we can, but not from what I've seen. You know, it just requires the kind of work that people do behind the scenes they don't necessarily do in public polling for a variety of reasons. It just takes, you know, some qualitative exploration, quantitative. Also, you can't ask in a congressional district, this is another thing that comes up like, hey, what if um, your representative, you know, Bob said that they – weren't going to support Trump anymore. Well, if you call 400 people in your congressional district with that poll, you better believe that that's going to be in the paper in the following week um, because someone will write that down yeah. or tell their neighbor who may you know have a kid who works for that per- Bob's opponent's campaign. So um, – so it, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to test to figure out for sure. Well, since we've been talking a lot about the wonderful world of public polling, let's dive for a moment into this question of whether or not they are rigged, whether elections are rigged, whether this whole game is rigged. So that Bloomberg poll that came out today, one of the questions they asked was, do you believe this election will be rigged? 34% of people said yes. That terrifies me. I mean, I know that's not a majority. But if you have a third of your population that just believes that democracy is not working, that like elections are illegitimate, that's that has like some really, really, really scary implications. It is. It's super troubling. Now, I have a potential silver lining. So in our groups last night, we asked that question, too. Do you think the election's rigged? Trump says it's rigged. Do you think it's rigged? And people would say, yeah, it's rigged. Well, how is it rigged? Well, I mean – not rigged, but it's clear that the media and Democrats and the establishment have a real preference. Got it. So not it, everyone thinks rigged means that like Clinton you, operatives are stuffing ballot boxes, right? And, and that and that you know you go you, you know you go to vote and there's only one button and it's for Hillary Clinton. Right? Yeah. like that that like that's one kind. Although of that is exactly what's been implied by a lot of Trump operatives, for sure. It's just I don't know if everybody when they hear the word rigged and say yeah I think it's rigged I don't know if they all mean it all right, that you've way. Put my mind at ease a little bit more. I'm sure some do. You yeah. know, um, but well, the polls. I don't think are the that other thing does. that people think some people think are rigged, like. Capital R, totally phony baloney nonsense, which has also been pushed by the Trump campaign. I have to read read my favorite hate tweet of the week. Normally, I just ignore these things and I don't – like there are some people I follow on Twitter and they love retweeting their haters and it drives me nuts and it makes me want to unfollow them. Like, yay, good for you. You have lots of people that tweet mean things at you. Really not interested. It's all. Right. I actually think that's worse than people who retweet all of the praise they get. Oh god! Like every so often, it's fine if somebody tweets something nice at you. But there are people that they will retweet like every time someone's like, "You were so hot on Fox now," and I'm like, "Oh my god, kill me, please stop!" <laughs> no, I want to unfollow you, but you occasionally tweet interesting stuff. But I did have to retweet this one hater this one time because it was just too good. So um, Tim Smith who I think was an egg avatar. I'm not confident that Tim Smith was a real person. Kind of kind of radiated Russian bot to me. <laughs> um, but tweeted, at ABC Politics, uh, space, a fake poll, space, space, not from the people this is media's poll, you're dishonest. You are not spelled correctly. It never is. Traitors and will be treated like ter- 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 terrioused. 
I think was supposed to be terrorist. <laughs> Terry oust. <laughs> a fake poll, not from the people. This is media's poll. So what would a, a poll from the people be then? Right. And, and you know, we, we talked about this a little bit on, on David Drucker's podcast this afternoon before he came over here. I am sympathetic to folks who think that the media is biased, who think that academia is all left wing, and then they see all of these polls come out and it's all sponsored by mainstream media outlets and academic institutions. And they're like, oh, well, they're all pushing a narrative. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic to skepticism. I'm not sympathetic to you all are lying and just making up this data to push a narrative. Like, Every time a poll comes out and showed Trump was up great, those polls could all be trusted. But now suddenly that Trump is doing terribly, oh, it's all a conspiracy. Right. That's not how this works, guys. And and how would it work? I mean, every single poll from the last two weeks shows Clinton up, right? I believe. I don't think there's one that shows Trump up, right? So how does it work? So is there like a meeting? Is there a conference call? Someone sent out like a mass text? Is there like a thing? And it's like, okay, guys and gals. So we want to show real bounce, make sure all the polls come in, Clinton between plus six and plus 12, right? And then everyone goes to work and pushes this narrative on their callers and on their production folks and on their crosstab people at all the different universities that help out. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's impossible, right? That's not how this works. So I, I think people just have lost, you know, it's part of this broader theme. People have lost trust in institutions. They don't know what facts to believe. They don't know what outlets to trust. They feel that the system is letting them down. You know, so many things are flawed. There's so much information to debunk everything that people just like kind of lash out at all this stuff. I mean, that's the only explanation. One of the the complaints that echoes the unskew the polls stuff from 2012 is, well, the polls are sampling too many Democrats. They're calling too many Democrats. That's not fair that they're missing all of these other voters. Um, what that misses is that more Americans are Democrats than Republicans. This is a like a real this is a real fact. This is not not made up. Um, And that that gap widened pretty big in 2008 and has not shown signs of shrinking. There have not been huge upticks in Republican registration or where there were. They're sort of, you know, spotty and were mostly related to people wanting to participate in those primaries. Um. But the idea that every poll should have an even number of Republicans and Democrats is just wrong because there's not an even number of Republicans and Democrats in America. Now, voter turnout, that could change. Maybe you do have an even divide on Election Day, but I have seen no solid data suggesting that there's been some like massive surge in Republican support and identification that would lead a whole bunch of people that would lead a poll that says, yeah, they're probably about six percent more Democrats than Republicans in the sample like that. That actually sounds about right. Right. There's right. a lot of data that says that's correct. So, yeah. No, and it, it's – I mean it is disturbing when you see people – I mean I feel badly sort of as an industry that people sort of doubt all the polls. And I know part of it is just this larger worry. Can the polls be trusted? And so, so many people ask that question that when they see a poll they don't like, they're, well, maybe I, I can't trust this poll. But I, I don't know if it's really just about polling. I think it's just people not being able to trust anything. But during the Walmart Moms groups last night, the people were tweeting me like you're – your thing is skewed, you know, your focus group is skewed, you know, do you, like there's no way that that's, that's true. Basically doubting every, the whole thing. Like I was just sort of making up the whole. Did you have one person tweet at you asking like, well, are, do you have full demographic representation? And you like gave it yes. back and they were like, no, yeah, sure. 
Sure, whatever. <laughs> and one person tweeted, like, this is so obviously done by amateurs who've never done this before. <laughs> I'm like, well, I've had 20 years experience and my Republican partner has even more. And then some other some other listeners of the show, you're out there, thank you all, like, jumped on this person who then <laughs> deleted his entire – he had, like, a he had like a seven-tweet rant and he just deleted the whole Holster's thing. Nation. Yeah, it's just had the whole thing. White knights riding to our aid. <laughs> I mean, it Thanks, was great. I mean, it was really quite – I mean, it was fine. Obviously, I think, you know, it, it's fine. But I just – I'm just kind of amazed how people would just doubt, like, okay, I'm sorry, this free thing that you're providing – Twitter, I don't like it. I disagree with it. I don't like it. And I want something else on top of it. <laughs> and you try to provide that for me and now I'm, I'm still mad. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I just find that a little strange, but I guess that's what Twitter is for. So the, the polls very well could be wrong, but they're not going to be wrong because there's some intentional conspiracy out there to dispirit Trump supporters and try to make it seem like Clinton's doing better than she really is. Right. I mean, it's certainly quite possible, if not certain, that she will not have this lead in November, you know? I mean, who, like, see, it's a very large lead to have nationally. So, you know, the odds that she's going to have this lead in November don't, don't seem that high, but the odds that this is the lead right now, I mean, I feel pretty confident in that just given how the magnitude of polling. Now, again, to go back to the qualitative, it's not because people, at, you know, talking to these voters who are more on the fence, they are pained. I mean, this is kind of the larger you know, pattern here of people feeling pained by this election. They feel pained following it. They feel pained listening to it. They're, you know, hearing it on social media. They're hearing it in, uh, at church. They're hearing it everywhere. I mean, we, we heard a lot of people say, like, I just can't take hanging out with my parents or my sister. I don't want to go on Facebook. I'm unfriending people. I just can't take it anymore. And we haven't even gotten to the crazy part yet. I mean, you haven't even had, I mean, Trump hasn't even run any ads yet, you know? So we haven't even started. I mean, that's the thing that's crazy. Um, but people that we spoke to, and it definitely mirrors polling as well, felt like I'm just disgusted and saddened and freaked out and, you know, scared spitless, someone said, thinking about this election. Well, the one place that you may hear a little bit less about politics than on Facebook is, I guess, in church. Um, an interesting study that has been done by Pew over the last uh, – during the summer um, has asked people about their experience um, in hearing about politics from the pulpit. Um, they they asked a survey of U.S. adults, uh, have you uh, attended religious services in the past few months? Um, and among those who did, you had 49 percent who said they rarely or never heard the clergy talking about social and political issues from the pulpit. 29 percent said sometimes, 7 percent said often, and 15 percent said they didn't really know or refused to uh, answer. Um, the, uh, an even smaller portion said that what they heard was specifically related to support or opposition to a presidential candidate. Um, by and large, uh, you know, compared to other groups, black Protestant churchgoers were those who heard the most direct talk about candidates from church leaders, 28 percent saying that they'd heard uh, support for Clinton coming from the pulpit, um, only 2 percent hearing any support for Trump, um, and 20 percent saying they'd heard clergy speak out against Trump, and only 7 percent saying they'd heard clergy speak out against Clinton. What's interesting about this is that you typically think of you know, Republicans as being the ones who are going after strongly religious voters and are you hearing sermons from the pulpit saying you need to go and vote for this particular candidate um, doesn't seem to be happening in favor of Donald Trump this go round. 
Um, I mean, if it did, I, I haven't actually seen comparative data going back. The stereotype is always, you know, particularly during the Bush years, that really getting the evangelical out and mobilized was a big piece of their strategy. Here, Trump has been endorsed by some evangelical leaders, but it's, it does not seem to be the case that you have a ton of evangelical leaders preaching in favor of Trump on Sunday mornings. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting too, the Pew study. I mean, they, they did focus. I mean, it's not because there aren't issues that are being addressed. Right. Some of the issues do follow a more conservative uh, bent, right? I mean, sometimes on the left, you'll hear about, oh, we should be talking about the environment and economic inequality as religious issues. Those are bottom tier in terms of what people are hearing about in religious services. They're hearing more about homosexuality and abortion, and they're hearing it more from the conservative perspective, at least because um, Pew breaks it down in, in terms of, of what's quote unquote side of these issues or what the context in which they heard about these issues uh, from the pulpit. So, so that so it's not that they're not getting political messages. They're not really getting it about a political candidate per se. Yeah, it's more about issues. And the divides are interesting by denomination. So, for instance, for Catholics, um, immigration is something that they actually talk about a lot more in Catholic services than in any other denomination. And there, most of the discussion is by like a by a you know a ten to one margin is about the need to welcome and support more immigrants. Um, well, but that only, could be because there are a lot of Latino, right? Exactly, Catholic churches. Right? Um, and you've got a lot, you know, talking about the uh, the environment. You have, you know, thirty one percent of Catholics saying that they've heard talk about environmental issues from the pulpit, um, which is higher than for any other denomination. And remember, the Pope has come out and right. talked a lot about climate change and things. Um, meanwhile, for white evangelicals, you see the issues that are most talked about tend to be the ones that you associate with, you know, abortion, homosexuality, um, religious liberty, a, a big decline in the percentage saying that they hear about environmental issues or economic inequality from the pulpit. So here's some other things that now we're going to turn to our clothes and just lighten up a little bit or maybe – Literally light up a little bit. <laughs> and that's the sin section. We moved from section. the church section to the sin section. That's right. Church talk. Let's move on to the uh, adult beverages and adult uh, smokes, I guess. So Gallup, I guess this is all part of a couple different uh, data points from Gallup that they released in the past few days in terms of recreational activities. So smoking, cigarette smoking. For sure down, the percent that smoke less than a pack a day has gone up. So the per- the percent that smoke one pack or more of cigarettes a day has gone down. And this is really dramatically, if you look, because they go all the way back to 1943. So it has changed dramatically. It's been for a long, long time. A majority of folks smoked cigarettes at least a pack a day. Since the late 90s, that hasn't been true anymore. The numbers flipped and now a majority smoke less than a pack a day. But now the pack a day smoking is about a quarter. I mean, that is used to be two thirds. Yeah. Back in the day. Now it's a quarter. I mean, that's, that's quite a shift. I mean, you could definitely, it's definitely a long way away from the days that I could smoke at my desk at roll call newspaper <laughs> and years ago when I first moved to Washington. So, um, so yeah, you can see, I mean, I don't know if that reflects the laws or reflects the settlement or the advertising or just, you know, national trends, but it all seems to be having some sort of impact. I wonder what the, uh, so, you know, what this question was asked of people who do smoke. I wonder also what the percentage of people who smoke at all looks like? Like what percentage of people 
you know, has I assume that has increased the proportion of people saying, you know, from the the Mad Men right. era, where like every character on the show is constantly smoking, to right. now where fewer people are smoking and they're smoking less per person, right? Because right. I guess they can't smoke inside, they can't smoke at bars, mm-hmm. they can't, you know, you can't really smoke anywhere except for your car, basically these days. Um, the other thing that was asked about in this survey was alcohol. Um, so beer is the American drinker's beverage of choice. Good job, America. Uh, they ha- over the years. Beer has tended to be number one. There was a brief spike in wine that actually came around 2005, which is around the time that movie Sideways came out. I think we've talked about this on the show before, how like that movie came out and changed. Yes. Like people stopped buying Merlot. They were only drinking Pinot Noir because like that movie hates on Merlot. Yes. So it, it really did very briefly change America's drinking habits to where – the plurality said they drank wine. Um, liquor has always been kind of lower, but beer has really opened up quite a lead. Um, it's now 43% say beer is their preference. 32% say wine is their preference. So an 11-point jump to get from wine to beer. Only 20% say they prefer liquor. I'm surprised that liquor hasn't gone higher given all this sort of small batch whiskey kind of trend but maybe that's just sort well but of a I city you know but that's trend. also that's probably a big part of what's driving the beer stuff that yeah. now suddenly beer is not just for flip cup and crushing a bud while you're watching football you know it's you can you have session IPAs and so anyhow um you, I'm team wine that's it I'm it doesn't matter <laughs> it doesn't matter what kind of like fruit or fancy words you put on the bottle <laughs> team wine um and there is the a big gender gap here so this I've I've gotten my father-in-law has lovingly sort of like chuckles every time he I reach for a beer because he's like, I've just never met a woman who drinks like beer is just her preference. I'm like, well, here I am <laughs> breaking gender stereotypes. But if you look, Gallup has broken down their data by men and women. Um, for men, beer is overwhelmingly the number one choice and has been. There has not really been a a ton of shift. There's been a slight uptick in liquor, probably from the small batch, you know, whiskey stuff that you were talking about. Right. Um, But overall, you know, half of men prefer beer. For women, it's much less and actually half prefer wine instead. So, Margie, you are in keeping with the trend. Yes. I am the one broing out over here, I guess. Finally, I represent America. stereotypes. (laughs) (laughs) And it is in my preference for wine over everything else. Um, No, I would rather simply not have it. If the choice is beer, I just would kind of, I'll just sit it, I'll just sit that one out until the wine, until the person with the wine shows up. (laughs) (laughs) That's usually how it works for me. So here's what we found. Hat tip to Ariel Levy from the Huffington Post for coming up with the Olympic polling events tracking and fielding or a horse racing, synchronized dialing. She's just a, a wellspring of puns. I know. It's of amazing. Co- I know. How could Olympic interest be down given puns like that? So everyone is feeling disgusted with polling on face. It's a on Facebook, it's at church, it's on your phone right now as you're listening to us, but it doesn't mean the polls are skewed. And which pollster would you most want to share beer or glass of wine with? We hope that's us. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters. Individually, we're at Margie O'Mero and at K. Soltis Anderson. Find us at www.thepolsters.com, where we'll post our show notes. You can also find us on Facebook, where we'll post links to the polls that have been catching our attention throughout the week. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. And we always love to hear from you in the reviews. Bye. Thanks.